Well, you know, the closer we get to planting, the more weather becomes the main force moving the market. Certainly did this past week. Still dry in the western grain belt. Still talking about drought out there, aside from the spring blizzard that hit the Dakotas this week. That was a bit of a surprise. And still soggy, of course, and cold here in the east. Now, that's probably one of the biggest issues. And this weekend's warm temperature, it's not going to go far enough to fix this uh, wet and cold soil that we've got out there because we still got some rain coming. We'll talk about that here coming up with the guys brought to you by the Allen County Farm Bureau. You know, you get a ton of benefits when you become a member. Discounts on hotels, computers, cars, trucks, but you know, most of all, and I say this all the time, the Farm Bureau is fighting to make sure farm families can keep farming. So support your local Farm Bureau with a membership. Go online to itpaystobeamember.org. Well, guys, you know, as the growing season ends in South America, weather is driving the bus there as well as it is here. David, I heard one of your reports this week on WoWo. You were talking about the dryness in the main growing regions in Brazil. But the more important part that you were underscoring was that the forecast is calling for even more dry weather ahead. Yeah, that's the strange thing about this. Because, you know, we talked for a long, long time. It was about the two southernmost parts of Brazil that had the dry weather before. Well, now it's going to central Brazil in the Safrina area where they're growing that second crop of corn. Who knew that was going to hit? But they're saying now that the two states down there, the most affected, of course, are Rio Grande do Sul and Ogoyas, and they produce over 60% of the crop down there total. And they're saying the weather forecast right now is, even though it's been hot and dry, the next two weeks are going to stay hot and dry. And a recent weather map came up later on Friday that I was seeing, told me that it's going to go even further than that. So... A lot of concerns about that being raised, and I think it's quite justified to talk about that Sabrina crop as being smaller than expected. You know, one of the things, John, too, is is that, you know, you talk about that South American crop, but uh, one of the interesting things this week was that when you look as an example at Argentina, their corn is about a dollar under our corn, but we still did have some good sales this week in the export sales report. Oh, we sure did. And uh, plus the announcement that came out on Friday morning that we had a sale of 1.347 million tons of corn to China. And remember that uh, earlier we had a million plus and there were rumors floating around for the last couple of weeks that China had come in and bought a lot of vessels of corn. This confirms all of that. So China is still stepping up and is, is by being a very aggressive buyer of corn right now. And we're also hearing reports about daily bean sales to China. Day after day, they're in here buying soybeans, but you don't hear about that because they're relatively small amounts. And so, therefore, they only get reported in the weekly summary. They don't get the special announcement that comes out during the week. But they're still aggressive for the soybeans. But, guys, let's remember something. This is all going to change soon. You just mentioned it, Rob, that Argentina corn is well below U.S. prices and the Brazilian soybeans that are being offered cheaper than U.S. in July, August. And South American corn is the cheapest corn June forward right now. So when we get out there into the summer, sales out of the U.S. are going to tail off sharply. And also by then, despite your concerns and fears, David, we're probably going to have a good crop in the ground and off to more likely a good start. All of that's kind of negative on the market. And I think that's part of what was in the market yesterday in the Friday session. Well, and to your point there, John, is, you know, David has been kind of like Chicken Little for a long time when it comes to the weather, you know. about uh, And there are a lot of people as well, you know, that continue to talk about, well, it's going to be dry out in the uh, Western Corn Belt. Well, we're going to be late planting around here. Presuming that you guys argued a bit about that this week. 
Oh, chicken little boy, you got that right. He's scared of his own shadow. And he goes back and forth. You know, it's going to rain. It's not going to rain. Well, anything's going to happen. It's not going to happen. Oh, we got dry weather. The world's going to end tomorrow because those <laughs> the crops aren't going to grow. And every year we'd get the corn, the beans in the ground, and we had good crops. And I'm tired of listening to it, going back and forth on this thing. The weather forecast that came out yesterday on NOAA were rather favorable. For May, June, and July, the temperature forecast for the eastern belt, normal, and for the western belt, warm only in South Dakota, Nebraska, and parts of Iowa. And precipitation for the western belt, just slightly below normal for Iowa, Minnesota, Nebraska, and Kansas. And then Indiana, Ohio, Illinois, in our area, expected to be normal to wet. Frankly, that weather forecast for May, June, July was favorable for good crops. I'm surprised you didn't say I was laying an egg, John. <laughs> you want to call me Chicken Little. You do that all the time. We're all used to that. People are like, hey, some are cracking, some are rotten. That's you. <laughs> We're going to talk about the weather. And the weather does look rather cool and wet, especially the first week of May. They're talking about snow temperatures 10 to 15 degrees below normal. So to make. But the thing I keep noticing is these little showers moving through, and I'm thinking that, boy, some farmers trying to plant. And as soon as they get out in the field, what happens? It starts to rain. So if we finally get a good pause where we get some good crops planted, I'm going to be ecstatic. But until then, somebody's making put off planting. David, real briefly. Bye, uh, David. Run scared. And again, I'm sorry I brought this up at this point. But David, give us a, an update on La Nina because that is still running above average. Listen, Listen, I'm not sorry you brought it up. Yeah, John is just having a wonderful time over there. He's finally got some subject <laughs> to take me and trap me on. The point is, La Nina is a very big deal right now. So I was looking back. I thought, this is rather unusual to have a double La Nina where it goes to La Nina and then goes to neutral, doesn't go to El Nino, it goes right back to La Nina. Double La Ninas are fairly common. I didn't realize that. But a triple La Nina, and some people are talking about that, that really puts us in a world of hurt. But La Nina pulls the Canadian air down on top of it, which is, tends to be cold, and then it helps the Gulf moisture mix with it. And that's how you got the blizzard in the Dakotas last week. In fact, they're now calling for this weekend in North Dakota another half to three inches of weight precipitation. Wow. It's going to start out as rain and switch over to snow. So it's not done yet. And thank you, Londina. And John, no kudos for you today. You're upset about weather problems in North Dakota. Like that's going to have a major, major impact upon our total crop and price situation. Come on, David. Again, I am so sorry I brought that up. Can we change subjects here? I would like to talk palm oil because 63% of all veg oil exports are palm oil. It is a big deal. And this really sets up as a perfect example for some of the things that happen around the globe that impact a lot of other things. You know, there's two countries that produce 84% of the world's palm oil, and that's Indonesia, 58%. Malaysia produces 26% combined. 89% of all palm oil exports come out of those two countries. So any little wrinkle in supply, and especially in exports, sends shockwaves through the global veg oil market and ultimately impacts our soybean oil. John, with what happened this week with Indonesia, Malaysia, and the palm oil situation curtailing the exports of it, I was surprised. Tell us why it didn't impact the soy complex more. Well, you would think it would, because as you pointed out, Rob, palm oil is the world's largest consumed veg oil. 
and most of it being produced in Indonesia and Malaysia, and Indonesia just came out and said they're banning palm oil exports beginning after April 28th so they can protect their domestic supplies. And so by taking those exports off the market, so the oil situation gets tighter, which should be bullish soybean oil. However, I'm going to say that what's happened is, is the market simply has just been so strong and gone so high and gotten so overbought, it didn't matter. It's already built into the market. So it's like, oh, well, so much. We, we know the palm oil site. If it gets a little tighter, who cares? Because prices are already sky high and we're overdone. So it was just a, uh, a situation of we've already gone high enough and the correction was in order. We were technically overbought. And frankly, looking at the charts after the Friday close, my goodness, uh, it looks like these markets may pull back some more. Now, granted, I will admit that we come in Monday morning. In the market, we'll start focusing on the weather forecast. And if the weather forecast looks somewhat favorable for planning, this sell-off is going to continue. And so, therefore, the market doesn't care about the Indonesian palm oil situation at the moment. Speaking of prices, David, we've talked about this before, about the cure for high prices is high prices. Is that what happened with corn? Because John was telling us that uh, we hit some records like, what, 10 out of 11 days here recently. So was that the pullback in the corn, David? Yeah, it was really difficult thing to keep seeing that's going up without a correction because, you know, boy, when they throw you out of a plane with no parachute, that's what happens to these markets. I, I really sense that we needed this pullback and we started it, you know, a couple of days of this earlier last week, but then Friday really, really knocked the socks out from underneath it. But I think the market needs to pause here a bit, find out where the buying interest really is because most of what's driven this rally has been short covering. And I think we need to see where the real buyer is here. That should help stabilize the market. Plus, look at the planning progress on Monday. I definitely see there's going to be some corn planted in southern Indiana and southern Illinois because yeah. their soil temps are over 50. And so I think they're, if that's fit, they're going to plant it for sure. So I think that was another reason we sold off on Friday. Speaking of buyers, the question is, what happened to the buyers that were in the beef and the pork markets this week? <laughs> Sales just dumped. They were unbelievably low. Yeah, that's been going on so many times, and I pointed this out before, that these people tend to be short of meat, and all of a sudden they buy a whole bunch of, especially China. They're good at that, especially pork. But then after that, they tend to be going away. But normally we see Mexico as a big buyer, and they weren't this week. Uh, when you only have 12,000 tons of pork, it's hard to find anybody that bought anything. And it'll be 15,000 tons. So I don't know why. Every once in a while, we get these really low weeks of these sales and really, really drives things. But the thing I'm going to watch the closest is the cattle on feed report. Oh, boy. Out. And I tell you what, John has never criticized me on that. If you ever noticed that, he doesn't know the difference between a bull and a steer. And he thinks the steer is the lead cow that steers the cows into the pen. All right? So let's go. bull You're full the cattle on feed report came in at 101.7. It was supposed to be just 100%, a little more than that. Placements, they were looking for 92%. They came in at 99.6%. Hey, put the feeders into the feedlots, folks. And marketing, 98.1, not much change there. But I'll tell you what, I'll say one thing about this report, and it's bullish corn. Yeah, well, from the feed standpoint, absolutely. And now to wrap this up with a nice little bow on top, and because he always has to have the final word, I give you now Mr. John Cavanaugh with the final word. Well, I'm glad you got your priorities straight there. <laughs> All right, the final word. We've talked a lot about the bullish fundamentals and the grain markets, and the truth is that the fundamentals at the moment, as we see them, continue to be mostly on the bullish side. So why did the market break sharply this past week, beginning on Thursday? Well, it's the economy, stupid. The market was focused on the fact that the feds are almost certainly going to raise interest rates even farther, and that has the market very concerned. 
And uh, that spilled over into the stock market, of course, which was down very sharply, and that carried over into the grain. The Weekly Visit with Coley and Kavanaugh brought to you by the Allen County Farm Bureau. How many of you trust that the current collection of politicians in D.C. understand the issues of farm families here in the heartland? And as they get into negotiating a new farm bill, you got to know that it's important that they understand how their changes affect family farms at the grassroots level. Now, regardless of what the issue is, whether it's broadband taxes or the carbon credit conversation, we can be assured that the voice of the Farm Bureau is there to pitch the case for family farms. And supporting that effort starts with a membership to your local county Farm Bureau. Consider a membership. Go online to itpaystobeamember.org. Podcasts by Federated Media.